Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. Lots of things are going on in the world today. Uh, there's still people down there in uh, Muleshoe uh, Wildlife Refuge uh, occupying a few buildings, uh, protesting the loss of land. We we have that site up, um, and we've added a lot to it. Uh, the Occupy Refuge Movement at PreparingYou.com. And I know some of the people that are there. I know some of the people that have been going up. You know, they're actually neighbors. They don't live that far away from us. Actually, the refuge is closer than Burns uh, to us. And uh, we've had people who aren't don't live very far away from Actually, we have next-door neighbors who have relatives there. Um, but we put up a number of videos on uh, Greg Walden's video is uh, fairly interesting um, uh, and informative as to some of the plights, some of the events that are going on, testimony of some of the people that are there. Some of the people have nothing to do with patriot movements and constitutions, went out there to find out what was really going on. There's actually hundreds of ranchers that are uh, in threat of losing their property. Uh and, of course, we have ranchers put in jail for doing absolutely nothing wrong whatsoever. Uh, no malicious intent, no damage, no cost to the government. Yet the government is able to fine them $400,000 and put them into jail for a total of 10 years uh, between the two of them. And, uh, and it's just outrageous. And it's happening. And it's happening to other people, people who have mines, has had those mines in their family for uh, over a century, and uh, they're just having them taken away by the government out here in some of these remote areas. And they can get away with it because there's not a lot of people out here. And most Americans don't really care about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves and their own comfort and, you know, who's, who's playing ball tonight. You know, uh, is the Seahawks going to win or not? You know, whatever it is. Uh, that seems to be more important than the fact that people are being thrown into jail for doing absolutely no injury whatsoever. And they're getting away with it. And people don't want to think there's something wrong. And this is just a symptom of our time. This is not the, the real problem. Uh one of the problems with the, the people that are on the ground there occupying that area is that they, they're constitutionalists and they think there's some sort of salvation in the Constitution. They've read it. Uh, they've studied it. They actually have a fairly good perspective on the Constitution, but they're looking at the Constitution in a vacuum uh, as if, uh, you know, they, we say phrases like it's the supreme law of the land, so therefore they have to go by this rule, that rule, that rule. But it, they, they don't see it in the context of the reality in which they live. They don't see it in the, uh, you know, the, the contract clause that uh, brings in all kinds of elements because people have been making contracts with the government and with agencies and with institutions for years which have an effect on what 
you know, you can't take away inalienable rights, but if you have a contract that you have to fulfill, you won't have any time to enjoy your inalienable rights because you will be fulfilling that contract. I mean, the bondage in Egypt was the result of a contract. You know, they sold themselves to the Pharaoh in exchange for welfare. You know, grain to get them through the famine. They sold themselves. And that was a Corvée system of statutory bondage. And Americans today and people in Australia and people in England and people all over the world have sold themselves into bondage. And so, you know, the contract has to be held. Pacta servanda sun. Agreements must be kept. And the Constitution guarantees your right to contract. And and those people who you have contracted with can enforce that contract. And right now you have leaders who can contract on your behalf because you have asked them to be benefactors who exercise authority. And they're making contracts with, or what they call in the Bible, leagues, is actually the same word as covenants, with other nations like China. China could destroy the economy with the amount of... Uh, uh, Federal Reserve notes that it has in its possession and uh, credits that it hasn't uh, owed it and and because it's you know it goes in bids for these treasury notes and uh, it it's owning the the debt the surety that we are your lands your rights your labor is surety for debt because you're a beneficiary of that system which is based on contract. And now China is holding the note. And they can come and collect in international law. And so the land is being taken away from people so that the mineral rights will go to the government. The mineral rights can now be, you know, offered to the inscrutable Chinese to cover the debt that we owe it. And they can come and collect. And anybody tries to stop them, they have a right in international law to, to uh, come and take what is owed them. This is how William the Conqueror took, from Normandy took England. This, this is a, the story throughout history. It's, it's contract. That's why one of the first commandments is to make no covenants with them. But you have. Okay, so now what do you do about it? Wave the Constitution in somebody's face? No. You have to repent of what brought you into bondage. The, the slothful in the ways of God should be under tribute. And they are. And the wicked will be punished by the servants of God, which is the governments of the world. Created by men, not created by God, but God gave you the power to create these, so now they're coming back to punish you. So you... You want salvation from the tyranny of the world. You have to repent from that which brought you into bondage. What brought you into bondage was not the Illuminati and it wasn't FDR and it wasn't, you know, the New World Order and the skull and bones. Those aren't what brought you into bondage. What brought you into bondage is covetousness, your covetous practices. You you, you have eaten at the table of kings with great appetite. 
you have taken a bite out of your neighbor. Over and over again, in order to have benefits, to have security, to have somebody take care of your parents, to have have a free education, to have health care. You've been taking a bite out of your neighbor to get this. And now you are devoured. So what do you do? You repent. What is repenting? You know, everybody says, well, I repented and I believe in Jesus. You repented of what? I see you doing the same things you were doing before that brought you into bondage, that brought Israel into bondage. I haven't seen you repent of that. Repenting is changing the mind, changing the way your mind thinks. You cannot pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and you cannot use your mind to change the way your mind thinks. You can't do that. You cannot pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, that 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 picture where you, you know, if you've got cowboy boots, you grab the straps and you pull the boots on. Well, no matter how hard you pull on those boots, you cannot lift yourself up off the ground. And you cannot change the way you think with your thinking. You just don't have that power. Something else must come into play to help you change the way you think. That's the way it works. And that thing can be a lot of things. I mean, you've changed the way you think probably many times by the influence of the world around you. The world, the flesh, the devil, you think. You know, when you were as a child, you thought as a child. When you you became an adult, you began to think as an adult. But maybe it was just because you passed puberty and now you're thinking about things you didn't think about before because of the chemistry in your flesh. Somebody injures you. Somebody hurts you. And you wake up, I want to do something about it. These men see abuse. And they want to do something about it. And it has changed their thinking, but they've been changed by the world. Are they really following God? I mean, they they pray, they want to know. What is prayer? Prayer is reaching out to a spiritual realm that's next to you. You know, we call it heaven, or you can call it all kinds of things. You know, in other languages, it's nirvana, or what have you. It's this other realm of righteousness. It's this good place. And then there's this other place they call hell, which is supposed to be right here too, within our reach. You know, and that's when we talk about this in, you know, what mathematicians call quantum and string theory and parallel universes. One is where you are, and one is hell, and one is heaven. There's supposed to be 10 or 11, according to the mathematicians. Prayer is reaching out into that other realm and asking for help, forgiveness. Let me in. Let me in. You know, like the foolish virgins. But what are you reaching out with? Your brain? The words of your mouth? The the universe is created 
in the image of God. You're created in the image of God. There are patterns in you that are in the God who created heaven and earth and allows hell to exist. Hell is a place that has many of the patterns of heaven, but not all of them. It's missing certain of the characteristics of heaven. And so you want you want the truth. The truth is all that pattern ingrained in you, etched in you, written in you. That's what it says. In Old Testament, New Testament, I will write my laws upon your heart and upon your mind. He will change your mind. You have to allow that change. You have to step forward and allow that change. Now, we have a whole page up on addiction. And uh, I could talk to you about that and, and what addiction is. And what it is is you are addicted to certain patterns of thought. Just like those guys there at that um, refuge are addicted to thinking that, you know, we have our constitutional rights still intact. That we haven't waived those rights. And and that they can't do these things. They can't even tell who's doing it. One of the things that the court does do is it avoids telling you. You know, we, we if you go to the webpage and you read all the way down and read all the footnotes and read all the uh, pages that we link to, you'll see what's really go- you You could see what's really going on. You may not see what's really going on. Because you have patterns of thought that you keep falling into. Habits of thought. I say certain words like church. It's going to cause a reaction. It's like a, it's like a pinball going down and all of a sudden it falls. You, you hear the word church and you think an image of church. Maybe you have a, a bad taste about church because you've been abused in the church. A church. Or something calling itself a church. Maybe you suddenly think about some good experience you had in a church that made you feel good. People are always debating that, you know, what kind of church do you want? And I've actually heard people say they want a church that makes them feel good. Or they go to this church because they really like the music. It's all about them and what it makes them feel. Christ didn't come here because it feels good. He didn't come here because of feeling. He didn't say, seek the kingdom of God and feel good. He said, seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But there's actually religious philosophies out there now that says, oh, oh you, don't, you don't have to do anything. You just have to believe. Believe in what? Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. What does that mean? Jesus says, not those who say, Lord, Lord, or believe in me, but, you know, they say they believe in me. But those who do it the will of the Father. But this new religious idea, no, it doesn't matter what you do. Now, yeah, you're not going to earn salvation by works. Because you can't do enough works. It has to be by grace. But if you're not doing the will of the Father, if you're doing all these other bad things, 
backbiting, gossiping, contentious, uh, debater. I mean, there's a whole long list of them. I don't have the list in front of me, but I could look it up. Uh, you can look it up. You have no inheritance in the kingdom of heaven, and we're not supposed to have anything to do with you. Why? Because you haven't really repented. Because your works are evidence of where your heart is really at. at. That, that is the fruit of what you call faith. It's not real faith. It's fake faith. It's dead faith. And that's why the world is in such a, a problem. So, how do we get the mind back on track? How do we get the heart so that God has written in it. Well, we can't forge that. And that's what most churches are about. Is forging an image of God in your heart. You know, by you know, motivational speaking. You know, that's the, you know, the, the big preachers who make the big bucks are just really motivational speakers. You know, and, and they, they get the people worked up. And people give them money because, hey, they, you know, I really got a charge out of that sermon. It made me feel good. You know, but it, it's a game. It's not real. So how do, where does prayer enter into this? If I say the right prayer, you know, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, on and on and on. And say it again and again and again and again. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. You know, all those prayers you just repeat over and over again. Is that prayer? What is prayer? It's it's when you... Real prayer is when, deep down inside your heart, conforms to the character of Christ. Your pattern, you know, there are things blocking your pattern to being a pattern suitable to re-enter the kingdom of God. You disobeyed, we disobeyed back in the garden, and we denied that disobedience, and we denied God, and we couldn't face it, we didn't want to see it, so we have been, we, we flee, we literally flee the light. That shows us what we are. Shows us how naked we are. How no authority we have of ourselves to decide good and evil. Only God can show us what is good and evil through the tree of life. You know, what is good. That's what he's showing us. He doesn't have to show you what evil. You just, you only see the good. If you get angry at people, if you resent people, you're not, you're over there in the tree of knowledge deciding good and evil. You're you know, we're not supposed to judge, but we do judge every day. Everybody who sends their kids to public school judge that their neighbor should contribute to their free education. They actually impose a sentence on their neighbor that their neighbor must contribute to their child's education. And they impose it with a gun. They don't carry the gun themselves. They've got other guys to do that. But they think that's okay because that's a pattern in their own minds and hearts. How did that pattern get in there? Usually resentment, trauma, unforgiveness. And it creeps in. What prayer is, is 
allowing the pattern of God to be written on your heart and mind. It doesn't require any words whatsoever. God doesn't listen to your endless chatter. Like, oh my gosh, that was really a good prayer. <laughs> he doesn't. He looks at the very depth of your being. You don't even want to go into the depth of your being. It's so dark and ugly and frightful down there. So how do we how do we do this? How do we how do we find salvation? How how do we get to where we need to want to go to be saved, to be set free from the world? I mean, Peter there for a moment was set free from gravity. He was walking on water supposedly, if you want to believe that. How did that happen? People were healed instantly. How did that happen? Where did that energy come from? That virtue that came out of Jesus and healed that woman just because she had the faith to reach over and touch him. What what is that faith? That faith is faith is accepting the truth, including the truth about ourselves, so that our minds can be changed. We have to quiet our minds. We have to study to be quiet. Stop making excuses for your sin. Stop trying to justify yourself. Now, I tell you that. And now you're going to mentally decide not to justify yourself anymore? Put on your humble face? No. Deep down inside you, you must actually care about the truth. Be willing to receive the truth about yourself, your inadequacies, your selfishness, your vanities. You, you, it is not about humbling yourself, you know, putting on sackcloth and whipping your back. Or making life difficult for yourself. It's about being willing to see the truth. Handle the truth. Face the truth. That's a decision you don't make in your brain. You make it deep down in your soul. So when somebody is interacting with you and you are beginning to see your own anger, your resentment, your your conniving, your your backbiting, your gossiping, you know, I, I need to pull up that list so I can go through that list of all those negative things <laughs> so that you can say, Oh yeah, you know, I don't do that, but I do do that. Then when you start to see your own inadequacies inadequacies as a as a child of God God can begin to change your mind. But there's a problem. There's a pattern etched in your physical brain, in your body, in the cells of your body that's going to draw you back to the sin. How do we overcome that? That's what we're going to talk about when we come back. How to overcome that pattern.
Lord openeth the eyes of the blind, and the Lord raiseth them up that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. This is Psalms 146.8. God's love opens your eyes. It takes the scales off your eyes. But in order to receive God's love, you must be willing to see. But if you think you see already, then Christ talks about you will be made blind. This is part of the teachings that Christ gave us. Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. Well, he's talking about those who think they already know. And so what we're doing in these series is trying to show you what Christ was trying to help people see. And Peter would say the same thing, that through covetousness, that you would be made merchandise. You would curse your children. You, you would go back and become entangled in the elements of the world. That is the cause. When we talk about contracts in the world and of the world, we're simply talking about systems and agreements where you can actually see the evidence of the fact that you're already in agreement with ideas like one purse, like eating at the table of kings, uh, benefactors who exercise authority. And they're not really benefactors. They only give you what they take away from others. These are the fathers of the earth. These are the terminologies. And we show you the history. We show you how this applied back then. We show you how it applied throughout the ages. We show you how it applied in our t- times today. But it is absolutely essential that you change what you are in agreement with. That's repentance. You're in agreement with the idea that it's okay to covet. It's okay to desire what belongs to your neighbor for your personal benefit. And it's okay not to forgive. Christ's love will open your eyes. But it also will be like hot coals upon the head of those who do not want to see. They will hate it. If Christ is in you, if you're coming in the name of Christ, you need to be coming with a desire to serve to forgive, to be a righteous individual. That is your desire. And you need to act, not just say, Lord, Lord, but actually become a doer of that word. And then His love can bless you. His grace. If you only love those who love you, if you only love those who help you, care about you, that are close to you, what grace have you? This is what it says. I want you to keep that in mind. Do not get carried away with contracts and jurisdictions and laws, etc. Keep in mind that this is about coming into agreement with Christ. And join the network. Find other people seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. A government that does not exercise authority but exercises love and charity, in hope. And until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you.
So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So how do you break the pattern of sin? How do you break a pattern of thought and, and deed that uh, we keep going back to? That's, that's one of the things that uh, we see over and over again or deal with, you know, like, you know, we have to try harder. As if you can save yourself through your own will. You can't. Uh, you know, even, you know, people talk about gays, uh, you know, that they're given over to this other way of thinking. That's actually what happens, is that they're they're given over to another way of thinking. And people try to change their behavior all kinds of different ways, and it wasn't very successful. So now suddenly it's no longer uh, supposed to be a... Uh, a uh, you know, it's it's supposed to be a, a, a that they're born that way. They can't help it. And of course it is true they can't help it. But they aren't necessarily born that way. They become that way and they can't help it. But they can be changed. But you have to look in another area where the problem originated. And you see that the problem originated with the fact that we don't want to see the truth about ourselves. And what is the truth they don't want to see? Usually it's unforgiveness. They were they were abused by somebody. I mean, you can find that over and over again, although you can't always find it because a lot of times it's a secret event. Sometimes it's even secret to them. And sometimes it's generational where uh, they pass the trauma on. How do you pass the trauma on? You know, I actually, I was, I was just going over, uh, you know, if somebody wants to be a minister with His Holy Church, or they really want to dedicate themselves, you know, there's a, there's a process of discipleship that we can put you through and, uh, and show you. Uh, and uh, we will teach you what we know. And what we know is how to study to be quiet so that God can teach you. That's what you have to do. How do you do that? Well, you have patterns of thought that have come into your mind over the years by trauma, sometimes just by association. You know, there I know people who are really pretty good guys normally when they're I'm dealing with them, but then they get in with the wrong crowd. And suddenly they become pretty bad guys. And then they get around good guys again and they're pretty good guys. They're influenced by whoever they're with. The thinking of the people they're with changes their thinking. That's how subject we are to the world, the flesh, and the devil around us. They can make us think they don't even have to try. They just be there. By the same token, when you're around certain people that are awake and enlightened and see the truth, at least about some things, that just being there, chit-chatting, talking with them, it's going to have an effect on your thinking. It's going to get into your mind. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have a choice. Because you do have a choice. One of your choices... One way to see your choice is that when you're around certain people, talking with certain people, you have a tendency to be, the truth has a tendency to be revealed to you about yourself. And just 
just in talking about just average, everyday, mundane things, you will feel like they are flogging you and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, really tearing at your heartstrings and it really just like overwhelming. And all they're doing is just talking about stuff. You know, some of it's important stuff, but why are you feel, you know, like, you know, it really tears at your heart. And you find yourself almost in tears at times. I mean, that's extreme. There's a lot of times the the the, uh, the presence of these other people is a lot more subtle. But the, what they're doing is they're bringing light into your presence and you're seeing yourself as you really are. And this is touching your heart and you're weeping in remorse. But, you know, once you uncover those problems that, you know, those past traumas in your life, you know, when you were a kid and your parents spanked you unfairly because they lost their temper because their parents had spanked them unfairly. And so they're just passing that trauma of their parents and their grandparents onto you. And it stays there because of the way in which you reacted to it. Now somebody comes along with the light of forgiveness and you this this trauma is revealed in you. You may not even remember the incident, but you you feel the heartstrings, we call them, being pulled. Merely by the, by the presence of this other person who's who's really talking about all kinds of other things. And it actually touches you. But it's only dealing with one layer. And maybe we haven't resolved that one layer. You just touched on it. You haven't really come to repentance about it. Forgiveness about it. It's still there. It's a thick, scabby scar in your heart and in your soul. So now you have a choice. Continue with this person who has brought up and brought this light into your life exposing the wounds that you have in your heart and your mind or avoid them. Just, just well, I, I don't need them. I need to go on my own, you say to yourself. So you avoid them because you don't really want to see the truth. You can't really handle the truth. It hurts too much. You love the comfort more than the truth. The comfort of the darkness. Of not seeing the truth. And the patterns of your behavior take you back to the place of darkness where you don't have to see your own part. And 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 when you do that, it often is worse with you than it was before. Because you've fallen back into the same contentious pattern. The same hiding pattern. The same denial pattern. The same selfish pattern. That you lived in so long to avoid seeing the truth about your unforgiveness. And whatever trauma it was. Now, there's, there's all kinds of things. Sometimes it's, you know, judgment is the result of unforgiveness. Uh, cruelty is the result of unforgiveness. Uh, forgiveness by itself uh, is is not enough. One one has to enact love 
in order to, you know, it's to get from falling back into that rut of unforgiveness. What happens in your mind, you have several different layers of your mind that you do thinking in. One is a place of very complex thinking. You know, if you learn a new skill, you learn how to do this. And, you know, like say you're learning to drive or or that's something, that, you know, ride a bicycle. You, your brain has to think about balancing, steering, paddling. And it takes a little while to get all those things. So you're going, and your brain is very focused and concentrating when you do that. And you do it, and you do it, and before you know it, it's second nature. You don't even think about, you know, what you're doing. You just get on the bike, and, and you balance, and you ride it. And and your brain is not really thinking about all the things that you have to do. You just do it. It's because a part of your brain, another part of your brain, deep down in the inner part of your brain, is taken over. It has made a pattern, chunks of action and reaction. So you just automatically ride that bike. And so, you know, we have a page up on that we talk about the backward bike. It has some videos and it shows a guy who, you know, where somebody invented a bike when you turn to the left, you go to the right. When you turn to the right, you go to the left. It's just a reverse of what you would normally have on a bike. And he says, okay, learn to ride this bike. And people can't learn to ride the bike. They know in their brain that I just... But the patterns in those chunks in this other part of your brain that actually is riding the bike for you. Because you can ride that bike and not even think about riding the bike. It's just second nature. It doesn't. It's not in that complex thinking, deciding part of your brain that you do so much stuff in, where you daydream and all these other things, or figure and calculate and measure and design. It's not in that part of your brain. It's in the part of your brain that just automatically does this, like baseball guys and football guys throwing the ball. They don't have to think about it. They just see the target and there it goes, the, the bowman. That guy who shoots, uh, you know, ping pong or, or tennis balls out of the air. Remarkable skill. It's just, it's just automatic. He doesn't think about it anymore. Because that's a different part of his brain that's taken over by habit. He hits the target. Well, you do the same with sin. With judgment. With backbiting. I actually pulled up that list. What is that? <laughs> uh, they talk about backbiters, haters of God. Now, you don't think of yourself as a hater of God. But if you will not receive His light, if you avoid His light, if you avoid people in your life that brings that light to bear upon you, then you're a hater of God. You don't like the light. That's why you're not in the garden. Because you're afraid of the light of the angel that is the beacon to bring you back to the truth. Despiteful, proud, boaster, inventor of evil things. Inventor of evil things. Wow. Disobedient to parents. Well, now, you don't have to be all those things. 
you know, th- there's another list in Corinthians, Second Corinthians. That was in Romans one thirty, but in Second Corinthians twelve twenty, we see, uh, for I fear lest when I come I shall find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not, lest there be debates, envies, wrath, strifes backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults. There's a a whole list goes on. That, uh, so what is that, what are they really talking about uh, in, in all this? This, this, this backbiting and all this kind of stuff. These are patterns, habits that we fall in, into. In our thinking. And. uh, We don't even have to think about them. We don't even. We don't even mentally make the choices. But we become reprobates. Because we fall into these patterns. And, And you know. Actually sometimes the most intellectual people. Are the most subject to this. Because they. They're the ones who are you know thinking that they can figure it out, that they can fix it themselves, that they can study, and what they're actually is not studying to be quiet, but their brains are being very active, very active. They're not being quiet. They're not wanting to see the truth. They can't handle the truth. It's too painful. But what happens when they do this is they go off and they create more traumas in life. They they are going to have the spirit of destruction following them. And they will cause, they will make choices where they will do evil. And they will cause pain and suffering in others. They will have to because they're following that design, that pattern, which is not the design of God. Prayer, most of what prayer is, is shutting up and desiring God's pattern to come into you. Not my will, but thine. That's mostly what prayer is. Now, we we mumble words and we talk to ourselves about it, but you don't need to do any of that. Prayer is going into the pattern. Accepting the fact that God is God and you're a child of God and being willing to let God write up on your heart. In order to do that, God's light must come into you. And when light, God's light comes into you, you will see yourself as you really are. And that will be painful. You will see your inadequacies as a human being. You will see your selfishness. You will you will see all those things that produce you know that in being wrath strife backbiting whispering swelling tumults. You will begin to see that that's in you. That you have used that to avoid the truth in the past, and the longer you go, the harder it is. And that's hard to deal with. But when you see that. And you do see it, and you do accept it, and you do repent. You begin to change because you be, 
God begins to change you. You're not addicted to the darkness anymore. You're, you want, you're wanting to be sober. You're wanting the light to come in. You're willing to see the truth about yourself. You know, all the people are pointing out, oh, they did this, and the government did that, and the Illuminati did this, and, you know, and they're not looking at themselves. They're not looking at the source of their problem, which is them. But even when you begin to see that and you begin to repent, you still have those old patterns inside your mind. You know, the, those triggers. The guy who worked on learning to ride the backwards bike, the bike that turns to the right when you turn to the left and everything, he, he, he struggled with it and struggled with it. Finally, he learned to ride the backwards bike. And then he happened to be, I think, in Holland or someplace, and he rented it. Everybody's got bikes there, and it's easy to rent a bike. He's going to rent a bike, and he could not ride a regular bike. His brain had new patterns. He couldn't ride the regular bike. He could only ride a backwards bike. He tried to tell people, and they didn't believe him. <laughs> it's just, I knew how to ride a bike. I forgot how to ride a regular bike, because I'd been riding a backwards bike. It's just amazing. He forgot how to ride the the regular bike because he had ridden. Well, we we're riding backwards bikes. We're doing everything backwards. We're trying to do it on our own. We're not getting together. When you're an alcoholic, you know you know Bill's plan. You know uh, AA. One one of the first things you have to do is admit that you're helpless. You can't fix this. I don't care how smart you are. You're not going to figure this out and change yourself. You got to admit that you're helpless. And then you have to believe that there is help somewhere else. You know, God, a higher being. Believe that there, there's some sort of loving power. There is a heaven with the right pattern in it. And it's filled with spirits of that right pattern and they exist you know i mean you can you can put all kinds of names and draw all kinds of pictures but the point is that there is this loving higher power you have to believe that because if you're not willing to believe that then you believe that you can fix it and then that means you haven't done number one you admit that you haven't admitted that you're helpless you think you can fix it you think, I, I don't need that higher power. That, that's, that's what you, 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 have to, you have. This is the pattern to overcome the addiction. What is the addiction? It's falling into the patterns that are already in your mind and in your heart. The ruts in your road, the ruts in your heart and mind that you fall back into when there's a trigger. Including the idea that you're not helpless. That's a that's a rut. That's a habit. You are helpless. You keep thinking you're not as a matter of habit. You go back to your intellectual approach to solving the problem. Your brain will fix this. I have the willpower. I've gone this long without doing that. I can keep doing this. Now, there's... 
the, another, I guess it's step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God, not just a created image of God in our own minds, but you actually believe that there is this other righteous God and that you're going to submit to His will. You don't know what it is necessarily, but you want to submit to it. You know, the the 12-step plan, you know, there used to be 12 steps up to the temple. And this is one thing that I, I've been sharing. I shared with the... Actually, I don't remember if I shared it with the network last night or not. But I did share it with part of the people in the network, some of the ministers. A, uh, a page on the temple. The temple in Jerusalem. <coughs> uh and it has, you know, pictures of the temple and all the different parts of the temple and the structures of the temple. And, you know, there's this, the court of the Gentiles, which is on the outside. And then there's the sacred enclosure. And inside the sacred enclosure, enclosure they had the outer court, and which was also sometimes called the court of women or the court of the treasury. And in that, they had chambers, uh, the chamber of wine and oil and the Nazarite and the lepers and the... And uh, chamber of the wood and these what well, what are all these things? Well, they all perform part of they're part of the function of the government building within Israel before they had kings. But it wasn't didn't have to, they didn't even have a building until after they had kings. Before that, they had a tent, a tabernacle that moved around, was flexible. It had a skeletal structure and an outside skin. And it, it, you know, it had its space around it. And they were supposed to camp around it. But everything, all the structures of it, were symbolic of something that's actually in you. Because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what's happened is that patterns have gotten into you that are not cast up. That are not the patterns of God. And you're addicted to those patterns. Your mind, with the right trigger, you will fall into those habits and into those patterns of thinking. But the reality is that the patterns that are in that tabernacle, in that original tabernacle, which we see somewhat reflected in the structures of the Temple at Jerusalem and the Temple of Solomon. And if you look around, you'll see all kinds of different drawings of what they think it looked like. And they vary quite a bit. But those things are all geometrical patterns trying to tell you about patterns within yourself. Now, if you try to figure it out out intellectually, you're going to miss it. You're going to screw up. But as you begin to walk in the Spirit, you begin to see that there's patterns in the Spirit in these things. So even in your own heart, in your own mind, there's an outer court and there's an inner court. And there's a vestibule. And there's the Holy of Holies. One of the central entrances to uh, the uh, outer court was up 12 steps. It had 12 steps. Why 12 steps? Why not 8 steps? Why not 10 steps? No, it was, it's actually called the 12 steps. Well, you have an addiction to wrong thinking. To, to patterns of thought. 
that you need to repent of. Change. You can't change them yourself. God will change them. But what you can do is study to be quiet. In other words, study not to fall back into the old patterns. You can. There are actually things you can do to help yourself not fall back into the old patterns of thought. You know, the contentious, backbiting, gossiping, whispering. And so, you know, if you, if you just use the AA model, and, and we'll talk more about these patterns, and we'll talk more about how to get to the point where you're in a constant state of prayer when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about patterns of prayer and uh, and the patterns that are in our hearts and minds that is not of God. It's not of the ways of God. It's not of the righteousness of God. And how do we seek that kingdom of God and His righteousness? Well, of course, one of the ways is to repent which is to change your mind, and you can't change your mind of yourself with your mind. You can allow your mind to be changed. This is what it means by being born again. But you're being born again of the Spirit. It's not enough to be baptized of water. You must be baptized of Spirit. In other words, the Spirit has to enter into you. In order for it to enter into you, you have to let it in. 
when you let in the Spirit of God, it will show you your, the truth about yourself. It's not just going to show you the truth about the Illuminati and the New World Order and all those things. And the law and the contracts and how the system works and everything. It's going to show you the truth about yourself. You have to be willing to see the truth about yourself. That you And, and like I was saying, in, the, in this 12-step plan into the temple of God, the 12 steps going up, just to the outer court, you have to take it one step at a time. You have to admit that you cannot save yourself. You cannot fix yourself. You have to believe that there is a loving power that is greater than yourself that has to come into influence in you and yourself. And that's what you're seeking. That's why that's the second step, getting closer to the inner court or the actually to the outer court. Got to go to the outer court before you go into the inner court. <laughs> so anyway, the third step, according to Bill, is uh, at least the, the way I've rephrased this is to submit to righteousness. You have to submit to the idea that you're not righteous and you're seeking righteousness. Now, why are we doing this, these steps? Again, salvation is in Christ. All you have to do is have faith in Christ. But the problem is you have patterns of sin and trauma in you. You have to, you have to see those patterns. And to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness is a process. And that's what Christ told us to do, is to seek that process. Well, the kingdom of God doesn't depend on benefactors who exercise authority. It depends upon pure religion, which is taking care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. Unspotted by the contractual benefits that come from benefactors who exercise authority. So you're not even approaching the kingdom of God until you have a network of people that are providing a daily ministration for the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. You're not even going to get close to the truth until you start seeking to do that. Because that's righteous to take care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. It is not righteous to take care of the needy of society by force. And this was the message of John the Baptist at the very beginning. Until John the Baptist, everybody was trying to do it by force. That's what you're doing again. You're trying to take care of the needy of your society by forcing the contributions of your neighbor. But that is taking a bite out of one another. And that is why you're devoured. Now, if you want to start tasting bad to demons, you have to... Let another pattern in. The problem is you've got the old patterns there. So these steps are just outlining kind of exercises in avoiding the ruts, habits, patterns that are already ingrained in your heart and your mind. If I say this word or that word, you start thinking certain ways. You start reacting to what I say. Because those patterns are there. You smell certain smells and, and you're, you salivate 
you know, you see certain things and, and your body begins to react. Patterns of behavior. You get on a bike, you just ride it. Habit. You can't get into the kingdom of heaven by making a habit. Because you you have to, you know, you can't just practice this. It's That's all just whited sepulcher stuff. That's just putting on garments. But when you fall into these patterns of thought and behavior and reaction, you're not being still. You're not letting God take over. You're not letting God guide you. You're guided by the old patterns. So this is what it means to study, to be quiet, to study, to stay out of the old patterns of, you know, contentious, debating, backbiting, trying to prove your your justifi- through justification, personal justification, that you're right and somebody else is wrong. You know, in the in the movie Dream Team, uh, Christopher Lloyd had the habit of whenever he saw a piece of paper on the ground or a piece of trash, he had to pick it up and make it orderly. And so, you know, the his doctor just throws a piece of paper on the ground and he says, I want you to leave it there. And the guy's just like straining at his seat to reach down and pick it up. I got to pick it up. I have to. It's the pattern. You can't help it. But by seeing that it's the pattern and not picking it up, fasting from picking it up, he's dealing with that that pattern. But you have to replace it with another pattern. This is why Christ says, Seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Righteousness is the other pattern. The pattern that you have in you now is unrighteousness. And it's kept alive by trauma and sin. And so you have to pass that sin on to others. You have to traumatize your children, your neighbor, your wife, your husband. So that they, you you pass your pattern of unrighteousness on to them. So you're unfair. You're manipulative. You're you're cunning. You're subtle. Because that's what traumatized you. You have to pass that on. You will you will fall back to that. So you want to still that. You want to quiet that pattern. You don't want to follow that pattern. You want to follow the pattern of righteousness. So you have to submit to the righteous thing. So what is righteous? Taking care of one another. You have to invest in the pattern of God. You have to give in order to forgive and you have to forgive in order to give. This is part of the pattern. This is one of the steps. Seeking that kingdom of God and His righteousness by gathering together and giving free will offerings. Nobody in your congregations need anything this week? That means you don't have to give? No, you have to give anyway. As a matter of fact, the more you give to those farther away from you, the more grace you will have. It's built into the system. There's nothing I can do about it. It's just the way it is. So step four is search our hearts and minds. 
It says, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. This is, this is a major step in seeking to live in the kingdom according to kingdom ways. To come face to face with our own lack of love and forgiveness. Seeing the truth about ourselves. Let God write upon our hearts. Not seeing the truth is, a, is the old pattern. Seeing the truth is the new pattern. So if anybody, if the presence of anybody brings you in to confrontation, brings tears to your eyes, that's a good thing. Don't avoid that person. You know, because that's part of studying to be quiet, not to fall into the old pattern of not facing the truth about yourself. It's a battle. You're in a battle. Don't flee the battlefield. Face the battlefield. That battlefield is in your heart. So he adds another step to this. Bill does. Talks about openly talking about, Hi, I'm Steve and I'm an addict. Confess openly. Admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. I have a habit of debating. I have a habit of being contentious. I have a habit of not whatever. You fill in the blank. Confess it openly. Say it with others that you trust. This is why they have these meetings. They have, you know, weekly, sometimes twice a week meetings and you have a sponsor, somebody you can call up anytime. You don't have to call them up and, and talk about in-depth, you know, scientific, moral questions. You just have to touch base with somebody else who's going through or has gone through the same thing. That's why you should not forsake the gathering together. It's absolutely essential that you gather together because you have to confess. And you have to let others confess to you. You have to be there for others and they have to be there for you. And in that iron sharpening iron, there can be growth. It's part of the steps of overcoming the addiction to sin, to trauma, to the noise in your head. Studying to be quiet. Studying to avoid the habits that drag you back into the world, the flesh, and the devil and make you react in the ways of unrighteousness. So they have another step. Step six. And, I, you know, I have it labeled. I, I, don't, I can't actually remember what Bill's got there, but sacrifice for others. And, of course, that's what a sponsor does. He gives up some of his time. Whenever you call me, I answer. I drop what I'm doing. You know, right in the middle of the ball game. You have to. Yeah. Why? Who's being helped here? The sponsor. Because he is sacrificing for others. And then as you get into it, you have to become a sponsor for others. Because you have to sacrifice for others. That is investing in the kingdom of God. Being there for others. 
You gather together not for what you can get, but for what you can give. Sacrifice for others. Christ didn't come to get. He came to give. That's why you meet. So that you sacrifice. Nobody needs help here in this group. Somebody needs help somewhere. Sacrifice regularly. So you got confess openly, number five, sacrifice for others. What we're doing is we're studying to be quiet. I'm repeating these things, I know. You're studying not to fall back into the pit. You know how you get into the pit? You fall into a rut that leads you to the pit, and then you end up falling into the pit. And we have patterns of thought, patterns of action and reaction. We don't want to fall into those patterns. Now, that's not. this is not salvation. This is studying to be quiet so that God can write upon your heart and upon your mind because that is salvation. But if you're full of following your patterns of thought and thinking and acting and reacting, then God can't get in there. So again, you're studying to be quiet, to not be the habitual jerk you've always been. <laughs> so, okay. So we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of our character. That's why you sacrifice. Because to sacrifice, like I've said before in the Hebrew, is the it comes from a word that means to draw near. You're, God, by His nature, gave up some of His life so that you can have life. Christ did that. Gave up His life so that you could have life. So if you want to get good with the pattern... That's a key element. Because I can tell you this, the devil is not going to give up his life for your life. That isn't in his pattern. So this this is not only part of breaking that cycle and quieting the minds that God can come in. It's part of the armor of God. Until you do that, you will not be able to cast out demons out of others. You must have the character of sacrifice as a habit. Because right now you have the, the, the habit of selfishness. Not sacrifice. This is, mean, this is why it's not enough not to take the benefit. You have to become the benefit. To others. Which sometimes cause... It hurts, you know. That's why there was so much reward for the widow's might and very little reward for half of the riches of the wealthy man. Because he gave up half his riches, but it wasn't as much sacrifice as the widow who gave up her might. Because she gave up all. This is a very important part of the step. And that since it's a process, this step is ongoing. You can't just do it one time. You have to do it daily. And time will fill in the ruts so that you're less likely to fall into the ruts of your old patterns. Humility in all things. You've got to realize that when you do make progress, it's not your progress. What, whose progress is it? That higher power's progress. As a matter of fact, when you really get to that point, you don't even think about it. It's not me. It's something else. 
You have to humbly ask Him, this higher power, to remove our shortcomings. In order to do that, you're going to have to see your shortcomings, which comes easier when you go back to step five to confess openly. And go back to step six to sacrifice for others. And go back to step four, which is search out our hearts and minds. Humility allows us to do that. See, the, these steps are not so distinctively different. They, they look very much the same. They're just at another level. But they're all part... It, you know, it's like a, if you pour steps up to a building with concrete. The whole block is the same concrete. But the steps are just different parts of the same staircase. Putting others first and ourselves second is a confirmation, although we're not looking for confirmation because that weren't, that's something of pride, in aid to others, but that's what we can see, as a humble foot-washing servant. It is, it is why we need to congregate together because we need other people to humble ourselves with. Can I help you? Can I serve you? Sometimes you can do it, you know, where you do it in secret. Where you do things for somebody and don't tell anybody. They don't even know where it came from. Because that you, that can be a source of pride too. See, I mean, it's a, you can't do this of yourself. You have to let it be done unto you. And it will be done unto you as you do unto others. That's why if you take bites out of one another, you get devoured. But if you do the reverse, if you really sacrifice to one another, this is the ultimate prosperity gospel. It doesn't mean you're going to get rich if you give to others, but you may become rich in spirit. Our shortcomings will just start falling away. They, they just will no longer be a part of our nature. But we have to submit to God and His ways. And His ways is not the ways of the world. It's not the benefactors who exercise authority. It's, it's not the covetous practices of the world. It's not the Corbin that makes us turn the Word of God to none effect. It's this humility thing plays, which is in step seven, also plays in step eight, which has to do with forgiveness. Now, this whole time that you're doing all these steps, each of these steps, you know, which we're outlining into an outline form, is a prayer. I mean, when you you say, "I'm, I'm so angry at that guy," I mean, I, I was talking to a lady the other day. And she says, boy, once somebody crosses me, I find it really hard to forgive them. Well, you cannot be forgiven unless you forgive. Which takes us back to uh, uh, confess openly. And forgive. Forgive toward all. To those who have done you wrong. Until it's a habit of forgiveness. That's the, that's the groove you want to 
your heart to be going in. Right now, you have the habit of unforgiveness. Now, a lot of people say, oh, I forgive that. I forgive that. And you can, they'll actually they'll say, yeah, I forgave him. And you'll see them close their eyes for a second when they say that. <laughs> it's a lie. They haven't forgiven him. They've just closed their eyes to their anger and resentment. They don't want to see that they haven't forgiven them. So they close their eyes to their unforgiveness and say, I have forgiven them. So now they are both unforgiving liars. <laughs> and I'm not picking on people for that, but that's, this is the ruts we keep falling into. And if you join into congregation and start working on this, I will take the time to show you how deep this goes. And I will show ministers how deep this goes as, as, as much as I can. I mean, I cannot reveal. It's God that's going to reveal these things to them. But I will talk about it. But if you do not want to come together and become the daily ministration in righteousness for one another, then I'm sorry, I don't have anything for you. I'm not even going to give you crumbs. But you have to really come together with an intention of seeking a government, a kingdom that operates by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. Or you don't deserve to be free. So our step six was sacrifice. What's our step nine? Which is after forgiveness, which was step eight. What What is our step nine? Making amends. And he has the whole process, and, and you can go see what they do. But, I mean, you can. it starts to become common sense after a while. It talks about making direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. And that that shows, you know, that, that caring. You want God to care about you, you have to care about others. It's part of that. If you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive others. But you have to go and try to make amends. You have to, which is again part of the sacrifice. You know, if you've if you've caused injury to somebody else, you have to somehow try to make that up with them or somebody. Like the guy who said, you know, he was condemned because he killed a small child in these riots in India between Muslims and Hindus. And Gandhi says, well, no, you can. You you can find forgiveness. He was a Muslim. He says you have to find a child that lost his parents in this same thing and you have to adopt them and raise them as your own. But not as a Muslim. As a Hindu. Because he had to kill the Hindu child. So he had to raise up another child as a Hindu. Even though he was a Muslim. He said then, then you will you will find salvation. Well, of course, he's, you know, all the Christians say, well, that's Hindus and Muslims. That has nothing to do with us. We're Christians. Well, um, the debate is out as to whether you're a Christian or not. But see, in order for a man to do that, he had to forgive Hindus. <laughs> it's, just, it's that simple. 
You cannot be forgiven unless you forgive. He's actually telling you the principles of Christ. And it applies. Whether it comes out of the mouth of a Hindu or Muslim or uh, whatever religion it is, it doesn't really matter. The pattern of Christ, the pattern of God is the same. It's not about words. It's not about labels. It's about the Spirit. So, yes, you have to make amends, number nine. Which is going to require sacrifice. And it's going to require number eight, which is forgiveness. And it's going to require seven, which is humility. And it's going to require confessing (laughs) openly. That you need to make amends. You see? It's all the same. We're going up the same steps. They just divided it up so that you can look at it from different... Every time you take another step, you see the world from another point of view. These steps are going up the temple of the Holy Spirit in you. But they're not salvation. Salvation is Christ writing His laws upon your heart and upon your mind. But these steps keep you from falling into the old patterns that lead you off into contention and backbiting and whispering and and avoiding. Step 10. Inner process. Is is the label here. What does that mean? Inner process. Uh, Aren't all these other things inner processes? It says here, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admit it. Promptly admit it. That goes back to confession. All these things are a part of the same Spirit of God. And the way of God. And you're not following that way. Because you keep falling into the ruts of your old thinking. These are a physical process to keep you out of those ruts. So that you can be saved by Christ. We'll talk more about this when we come back. The Keys of the Kingdom. to Keys of the Kingdom. Um, just a little announcement. We got uh, one of our missionaries traveling to Arizona on his way to Texas. If you're listening to this radio broadcast and you're anywhere in that pathway, get a hold of us on the Living Network and uh, we'll try to set up a meeting if he passes near you. So, uh, anyway, also, um, you should belong to the network. And the reason why is because that's one way to start forming congregations. You have a congregation, a little congregation that makes you feel comfortable. Okay, that's great. I'm glad you're so comfortable. But that's not a kingdom. A congregation is not a kingdom. The kingdom of God was a network that reached all across Europe, North Africa. And it was a interlacing, interlocking thing. Even by uh, 300 A.D., there were 1,200 known bishops to the government of Constantine. 
1,200 were invited to his Council of Milan. Sure, only 300 showed up. But 1,200 were known in this network. That's the ones that were known. I'm sure there were many that were unknown. What were they doing? They knew each other because they were networking. You could travel from one end of Europe to the other and there was always some Christian group to receive you and you knew where they were because you were part of the group. You didn't go online and Google them. They were their own internet network and uh, and uh, the government didn't create it. The government of God created it. And it created it because people loved one another. And that's the way it worked. But in order to do that, again, they had to study to be quiet. They had to study not to fall into the old habits. Peter was constantly falling into his old habits when Jesus was there. And Jesus was constantly, you know, saying things like, Get you behind me, Satan. And, you know, you're going to deny me. And, and giving, you know, scolding them. And others. Because they fell into their own patterns of thinking about the kingdom. And it, it, and people still do that. They fall into their own patterns. And the more they... You know, one of the key things in AA is that you got to go to the meetings. And we're going to talk a lot about this in the future, this dealing with habits. Is that in order to break these habits... A lot of times you have to just call up and touch base with somebody and uh, and be there for somebody else. And in that, you help them and they help you because you're sacrificing, which is a major part of the deal. You're sacrificing your time when you're there for them. And, you know, there, there's... This is this is a process, you know, and it's an inner process whereby the Holy Spirit will have some place to write his laws upon your heart and your mind because you're still enough to let him intervene in your thinking and in your pattern of behavior. And that setting aside, that humbly setting aside your will to serve others, opens up the inner parts of your heart so that God may come in. And when He comes in, He will bring light and you will see new things about yourself which sometimes are not very comfortable. Everything is layers upon layers. You know, their step 11 is to practice listening. You know, I make myself available to a lot of people. It takes up huge amounts of time. And I, I, uh, I end up sacrificing somebody to serve somebody else. Usually my family gets the brunt of that sacrifice. But they also see that, you know, they're very disappointed when people, and and it always comes to this with some people, and hopefully they will come back where they come to a point of self-destruct. They they don't want to see anymore. And you see the signs of it. You know, I've I've seen I could name you the names of the people I've seen where they they began to become more aloof, they began to become more distant, they 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 like don't connect as often, and you see them slipping away. But the thing is, this is choices. 
This is choices. I must allow them. Nobody's going to chase after you, grab you, and drag you back to the kingdom of God. Your prayer. Prayer is an application, desire, recognition that you don't have it and you want it. That you don't, you're not fulfilled, you don't have the truth, but you want it. You desire it. You desire it to come into the inner parts of your being. You, you, in that, in all these steps of, you know, admitting that you can't do it alone. Admitting that it requires a higher power. Seeking righteousness in all your relationships with everybody. Searching out your own heart and mind to find the unrighteousness there and confessing that unrighteousness to others. Trusting them enough to confess it. And some of them will betray you. But then that's great because then now you're going to have process eight. You get to forgive them. (laughs) I mean, it's not great for them. It's bad for them. But you sacrifice. You take the chance on others. You do it humbly. Forgiving them when they they don't play well with children. <laughs> make, make amends to those that you've wronged before. More sacrifice. Continue to look deeper and deeper until you actually know yourself. And you can't do that without letting God in. Which means you have to accept the fact that somebody else has to change you. And then you have to practice this message of seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness daily with everybody. With those who also are doing it and those who are not doing it. With, with everybody. Even with your enemy. Having had that spiritual awakening uh, continuing in us, you have to humbly, just simply... Be there for other people. Come. Show up. Make yourself available to other people. But at the same time now, you're being still. You're learning to be still, not fall into the ruts. You have to actually, and and this is where it comes, where you meditate upon the process, where you allow yourself to listen deep inside that inner... You know, God is writing on your heart and your mind. You have to see what He's writing. What does He want you to do? Are you bearing the fruits of repentance? Are you showing the sign of repentance? It goes back to those lists. Those big long lists that we see in um, in Romans one twenty eight. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, because in order to do that, you have to see the truth about yourself, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. This is because people didn't want to see something about themselves, that they're not really that forgiving, they're not really that kind, they're not really that sweet and loving. 
So then they end up being filled because of the void of God in them. They have no armor. So they are ended up being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Nothing more malicious than a progressive socialist. Full of envy. You know, envy in the rich. Take that money away from them and give it to redistribute that wealth. And next thing you know, they'll be wanting to murder and invade other countries. Full of debating, arguing, deceit, malignity, whisperings, backbiting, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. That's what we see invading the world today. That spirit is becoming pervasive. It isn't Muslims. It's people. And there may be some Muslims that are out ahead of other people. I mean, there's lots of Muslims. I'm sure you're going to find lots of Muslims with this spirit. I can find you Christians with this spirit. I can find you Buddhists with this spirit. You know, the Buddhists are supposed to be it's all peaceful religions. There are Buddhists out there murdering people today. Because this is the spirit. It, it goes beyond labels. But it's because we're addicted to unrighteousness. To the point where we don't even recognize unrighteousness as right, unrighteousness. We think it's righteous to covet your neighbor's goods and to force your neighbor to pay for your public schooling and your benefits and your health care. Health care is a great thing. We need that because we love one another. No, you that's hate. You despise the rights of the individual. You want to take away from the individual. You want to force them. If you want to force others to do what you think is right, others have the right to force you to think and do what they think is right. Thought police. They're going to control you because you want to control them. Who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death not only do the same but have pleasure in them that do them. That's what they want. It's everywhere. And it's because you have those patterns in you because you are not forgiving, you are not sacrificing, you are not loving one another, you are not laying down your life Therefore, you will not have life more abundant. You will have less and less life. Romans 2, verse 1. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. When thou bite thy neighbor, thou condemns thyself to be devoured. For though that judgeth dost the same things, for thou that judgest does, does this, that's a hard thing to say, does the same thing, you do the same thing. You know, not to pick on them, I don't want to distract from because 
there's injustice going there. We have to take a look at it. But Bundy, from what I understand, sends his kids to public school. It's okay that he take away from your neighbors. Yeah, and he borrowed $500,000 to start a business. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to pay it back I mean, borrow it from the government. He's not anti-government. He sees an injustice going on and he's trying to do something about it. But he is not doing necessarily the right thing because he's not willing to see the injustice in his own life. That doesn't mean that, you know, he doesn't have a point there and that we can just write this all off and the Hammond should go to jail. They're going. They're they're probably not going to get out. I mean, the only thing short of a pardon or or somebody could, you know, uncover judicial misconduct and and overthrow the case because they would have cause for appeal then. But this is just the only reason we report on this is this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is a little tiny event. This is it is the spirit going about throughout the whole world. From China to Australia to whatever, to Syria, and we see it pouring into Europe. The Europeans are now reaping the whirlwind of their years of socialism. They have thought it was okay to take from their neighbor. To force their neighbor to contribute to what they wanted. And now their neighbors are showing up from Syria. (laughs) And North Africa. And they're just taking what they want. Less like you did. Slightly different process, but same basic spirit. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same thing yourself, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? No, you will not, and you are not. And it's coming. You need to put on the full armor of God. You need to repent. That you keep falling back into the old patterns of behavior. So therefore, we need to come together and every congregation be an AA gathering to overcome the addiction to sin. Our, or despisest thou the rich? Of his goodness and the forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, you are breaking off the connection to those people who have led you to repentance. Because you are not humble, you are not willing to sacrifice your own pride and gather together and let iron sharpen iron. It goes on to say in verse 5, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteousness of God, the righteous judgment of God. That's where we're at. That's, that's where we've been going. For, for years and years. You know, if you go down to, in, into, you know, other verses uh, in Second Corinthians. 
Uh, he talks about this is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. This is a part of the process, which is part of that confessing, part, part of that open confession and admitting. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present and the second time. And being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all others that if I come again I will not spare since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me which to you word is not weak but is mighty in you for thou for though he was crucified through weakness Yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. He then says, Examine yourselves, whether you be of faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves. How that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Well, I am a reprobate. I'm working on it. But the fact is, is that what is the proof of our faith? Is it alive or is it dead? What is the works of our faith? Is it sacrifice? Is it love? Sacrifice our time to come together, to be there for one another, to sacrifice, to take care of one another, to love one another. This is the time to begin to polish that armor, to put it together, to put it on, to walk together. I tell you, the more your congregation works together, the more you seek to bring others to that congregation... These are treasures. We have to shovel through a lot of dirt to find those who will continue that walk and not be reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. That's what he says. We can do nothing against the truth. In other words, even if we... If we do wrong, we will expose the truth about ourselves. Ask ourselves, are we bearing the fruit of repentance? Are we loving one another? Are we forgiving one another? Are we gathering together with one another? What is your prayer? What is your desire? To justify yourself? Or seek the justification of Christ in the service to others? Even though they may hate and despise you, will you still serve them? Will you still love them? This is, this is the process of prayer. Prayer is not words mumbled under your breath. It is, it is the opening of your heart to accepting the fact that you cannot change yourself, but you can be changed. And a willingness to suffer that process of seeking, of persevering, 
of striving in these steps towards righteousness, which is mostly about admitting to ourselves, to others, that we have been unrighteous. We have been selfish. We have been arrogant. We have been self-serving. And we wish to be that way no more. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. That is what Paul was saying to people who were who were trying to take care of one another, serve one another, be there for one another. Who were not eating at the tables and the altars of the benefactors who exercise authority, but were actually setting the table of the Lord through daily sacrifice. We have little time to waste with contentiousness and debating. And, and you know, uh, if, you, if you look at uh, Titus, uh, that, that's, you know, Titus 1 and 2 and 3. They're talking about, um, you know, what, what the office of a bishop is. You know, what, what, what he is expected to do. And in, in Titus uh, 9, which I quoted recently, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and striving about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Now, actually, that word about the law is normally translated lawyer. It says a man that is a heretic. And what is a heretic? Chooses something else. Chooses these things to be contentious, to be striving. After the first and second admonition, reject. Why? Because you don't love them? No, because you love all the others that they are affecting. That they are injuring, confusing. Because it's it's not what Christ came to do. Christ came to do what? To teach us how to love one another. There is no formula other than love of one another, of sacrificing for one another. You cannot save yourself with works, with clever uh, legal janglings. It is true that certain things should be in order, but that is not what saves you. You can put all those things in order. But if you do not have the love of Christ for others, the sacrifice and the service of Christ as a habit in your life, there is no prayer and there is no salvation. Until we meet again, peace on your house and may God be with you.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.